The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments, and uh, we didn't finish last time our look at the Seventh Commandment, but I have been reading all of the Ten Commandments to keep them in front of us, and I'm going to do that again this evening. Exodus 20, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so the seventh commandment says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, today being Father's Day... Uh, I've thought um, about the burden, in one sense, if you could look at it that way, of um, Proverbs 31 on mothers every Mother's Day. You see, here's this perfect woman, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman, and she can do no wrong. She does everything right. She's energetic and godly and involved in everything and whatever. And so every Mother's Day, mothers get the Proverbs 31 woman. And uh, I think it's wonderful to have a perfect standard over you, to lift you up all the time and show you how you can grow. Um, I thought it would be good for the male version of Proverbs 31 to be in front of the men tonight. So take a minute and look at Job 31, which is the male version of Proverbs 31. And the day that the men live up to Proverbs 31 is the day the women can live up to the woman of, of Proverbs 31, of Job 31. Those two are high standards. Job 31 comes after Job has protested his innocence chapter after chapter after chapter, bewildered at what God is doing. He is not certain why it would be that these afflictions are coming in his life. And he would love to stand before God and make his case. And so this is the culmination of his defense. And basically in this chapter, he gives an incredible description of his own innocence. But in so doing, he also gives a remarkable standard for men. And it's interesting to me where it begins. Look at uh, Job 31, beginning at verse 1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. For what is man's lot from God above, his heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked and disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways? 
and count my every step. If I have walked in falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales and he will know that I am blameless. If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes, or if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I have sown and may my crops be uprooted. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain and may other men sleep with her. For that would have been shameful, a sin to be judged. It is a fire that burns to destruction. It would have uprooted my harvest. I'm going to stop there. Now, you men who want to be encouraged and exhorted in purity and a perfect life, read the whole chapter. It's really very good. But it's striking to me how Job begins with sexual purity. He starts with this issue of making a covenant with his eyes that he would not look lustfully at a young girl. And then he considers what would the outcome be if he gave in to the sin of adultery. Now, when I was getting my Ph.D. at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, I took an extension course in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so uh, for six weeks, I traveled from Louisville to Grand Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's a long trip. And uh, I remember that distinctly. A friend of mine and I went in his old pickup truck. And it was always exciting whether we were going to make it the 700 miles or whatever it was uh, to Grand Rapids. So we're traveling um, up, up through the state of Indiana. And as we would travel, I, would, I never forgot those Sunday afternoon trips. Uh, the class was Monday morning, and so we would travel on Sunday afternoon, get there late on Sunday night, and then be ready for class Monday morning. And as we were driving, we would just see rows and rows of cornfields. It was incredible. It was, it was something I'd never seen. The sky just seemed so huge, and the fields just seemed to go on forever. And I, I thought, surely there's enough food here to feed the universe. It was incredible the amount of, of, of uh, corn there was, row upon row of it. And I remember one time as I was meditating on Proverbs 31, I thought about that harvest. And Job twice talks about the outcome of lust and the outcome of adultery. And he uses the image of a harvest being uprooted. You could imagine if you were a, an Indiana corn farmer, how much labor went into that harvest, how much work went in. That was your whole life, your whole livelihood. And what would you have done to protect it from being uprooted? Imagine there was some kind of mysterious creeping blight that destroyed the root system of the uh, corn and just caused it to fall over. What would you do to find out what the issue was and protect your corn and your harvest? Spiritually speaking, every time that we pray, every time we learn a scripture verse or memorize it, every time we, we act in faithfulness or train our children or, or, or plant a word of encouragement or uh, share the gospel, it's in effect a seed. And we're planting a harvest of righteousness that we hope will grow up to the Lord's glory. Job says the whole harvest will be ruined if I give in to this sin of adultery. And you can imagine why it would be. How in the world could you ever recover uh, your reputation? How could you continue to serve the Lord in any faithfulness? Now, it doesn't mean that it's impossible, but so many things are ruined and destroyed, Job says, by giving into this. And he didn't want his harvest uprooted. So he begins the chapter by saying, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made an agreement between me and my eyes. I'm not going to look lustfully at a young woman. Now, I really have no idea for sure when the book of Job was written, and I have no idea what the um, clothing styles were for women in those days. But I would think that our need as men to make such a covenant would be not less than that of Job. But perhaps even more would be the need. Even more would men need to protect their eyes 
uh, even more would they need to protect their marriages. Now, last week we talked about marriage. We talked about it from a biblical point of view, how God gave it to us in Genesis 1, creating them male and female and giving them the command to fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it, be fruitful and multiply. And then in chapter 2, the more detailed look at at the first marriage between Adam and Eve and how God uh, put them two together and the two will become one flesh. Then we saw for the rest of the book of Genesis, one attack after another on the marriage institution, one after another, beginning with bigamy, on polygamy, and lust, and uh, all of the other things that we saw. We ended with the question, or the urgency, um, of how then can we protect our marriages. And it's that that I want to turn our attention to tonight. What is the best way to avoid adultery? Uh, If we all agree that it's um, a devastating sin, how can we keep our marriages pure and our lives pure and not have, as Job said, our harvest uprooted? What can we do? And I thought about that, and I think we're going to see that the answer comes in two senses, defensive and offensive. Defensive has to do with protecting yourself from what could come in to you from the outside. Offensive has to do with so filling the inside that the outside uh, cannot allure you or entice you or destroy you. And so the scripture tends to give both answers in this question. We're going to guard our hearts from what's out there and can come in. And we're going to be so rich and full within that what's out there is not enticing. And so that's the twofold answer that scripture tends to give. Then defense, protection would be loading up on two things in our minds. We're going to load up on wisdom and we're going to load up on warnings. Those two things help us. Loading up on wisdom means reading scripture. Gaining God's perspective, a heart of wisdom, looking at things the way he does. And so we turn, especially, I think, to the wisdom literature to gain a perspective. So we're going to load up on wisdom, and in that, we're also going to load up on warnings. Jesus gives serious warnings in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What more serious warning could there be than the warning of eternal condemnation in hell? And so we would load up in our, in our hearts on wisdom and on warnings. Ultimately, we're going to be wise and careful and guard our, ourselves um, on what comes into us from the outside. That's the defensive side. Offensively, it really comes down to the issue of satisfaction contentment. First and foremost, we will learn to be content with God. We'll be satisfied with him. Not everyone is called to marriage, but every Christian is called to be content with God, satisfied with him. Secondly, we're going to learn to be content with what God provides. I put it in that order. We're going to be content first with God, and secondly, we're going to be content with what God provides us. And so that's the whole scheme tonight, okay? Defensively, we're going to guard ourselves by loading up on wisdom and on warnings. Offensively, we're going to be so filled with contentment over God first and what God provides, namely a godly marriage, a godly spouse, or if your gift is singleness or your lot, at at least at this point in your life, is singleness, to be content with that because God's provided that for you. And in this way, we will be protected. 
Okay? So let's look at the defensive side first, and it has to do with loading up on wisdom and on warnings. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 5. Wisdom literature gives us great insights on how we can protect ourselves from this great sin of adultery. And so, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 uh, really focus more than anything else on this sin of adultery. So that there is incredible wisdom given here from father to son. And again, it being Father's Day, this is a beautiful um, example of how a father can prepare his son for life. It's good for fathers to train their sons in wisdom, isn't it? It's good for fathers to train their daughters in wisdom as well. And so for fathers to take the time and give this kind of godly counsel to a child, preparing them for what's to come ahead. And so in this particular uh, chapter, it's couched in the, in the term of fathers uh, entrusting wisdom to their sons. So look at, at Proverbs 5, verse uh, 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom and listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near to the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Stop there for a moment. You can see in verses 1 through 14, he is giving his son both wisdom and warning. Do you see it? The wisdom comes from just knowing how the lips of an adulteress, for example, drip honey. What does that mean? Well, she uses flattery. She uses sweet promises. It seems like it's going to be enticing and satisfying. And so it would. You know, if these sins presented themselves as ugly as they ultimately would, there'd be no takers. The devil's not foolish or stupid in this regard. And so he's going to make something look appealing and enticing. And so popular culture makes adultery seem appealing or enticing. The lips are dripping honey. But don't be deceived, the father, the godly father saying to the son. Don't be tricked by this. Because in the end, it's bitter as gall and wormwood. You see the wisdom. He also talks about warnings. He says, uh, in the end, she's bitter as gall, verse 4. A double-edged sword. She's a double-edged sword. Verse 5, her feet go down to death and her steps lead straight to the grave. And so it's ultimately a warning of condemnation, of an empty life, of a destroyed life. And at the end of your days, he says, you will groan and you will wish you'd done it differently. How much should we as fathers desire to protect our children from that groan? How much should we protect ourselves so that we don't look back and say, oh, if only I hadn't followed that path, if only I hadn't gone in that direction. And so we see here in Proverbs 5 a loading up on wisdom and on warnings. Continue at verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. 
a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. So in chapter 5, in the second half in Proverbs 5, we see uh, some of the offense. Namely, be satisfied with your wife. Have a good marriage. Have a good relationship. Be satisfied with her. Now, Satan is always trying to push us to extremes. In one case, he's going to say that marital relations are essentially wicked and evil. Uh, This is the um, flesh is evil approach of the Gnostics, for example, and other philosophical systems that are going to tell you that the body is the source of all evil. And so any fleshly drive is wicked and evil, and there is no godly way to satisfy it. This is why the Roman Catholic Church does not permit their priests to marry. They consider marriage to be a lower order of holiness. They expect their priests to be at the highest level. Rather, throughout the history of the Roman Catholic Church, there have been other ways that priests have illicitly satisfied their drives in this area. And it's been a scandal all along. It was not God's intention that priests not marry. They made a mistake early on by establishing this as a rule. And they won't let it go because the Roman Catholic Church, their Latin motto is semperiatum, always the same. They're not going to change. But here's the fact. The fact of the matter is that this is a lie from the devil. But is this our most common lie. No, he pushes to the other extreme, too. Not only does he say marital relations are essentially wicked and evil and there is no godly way to satisfy them, that is false, because Genesis 1 and 2 says that marriage is a gift from God. The two will become one flesh, and it's a wonderful thing and a celebrating thing and something that we should desire. And it is the best offensive weapon uh, for uh, this whole matter. A good marriage, satisfying marriage, being satisfied with your marriage. Uh, That's what God's provided for us. And we'll see that more in 1 Corinthians 7. But uh, our sin is the opposite extreme, where the devil says all um, uh, gratification in this area is good and pleasing, just as long as you're happy and nobody's hurt by it and all that. And that's more the spirit of our age, isn't it? Uh, So that anything goes, really, just as long as as you have two consenting adults and and, uh, whatever. I almost can't even bring myself to talk about the philosophy, but you know what it is. Um, it's really that we're very little more than animals and we can't resist our drives and so there's nothing we can do. Self-control is not part of who we are. Well, that is false too. What we need instead is we need the biblical uh, insight. And what God gives us here is the best offensive uh, protection is a satisfaction with God's provision. Uh, Be satisfied, he says in verse uh, 15, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. And then it says in verse uh, 18, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. That means be satisfied with what God's provided for you. Now, I've often thought about David and his sin with Bathsheba and how he wrote in Psalm 16, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. What that means is that God had put boundaries around his life and inside those boundaries were wonderful and good things. And he was deeply satisfied with them until the night he walked out on that roof and saw this uh, woman bathing. All of a sudden, there was something on the other side of his boundary line that he wanted. He wasn't satisfied anymore with what God had provided for him. He wanted something outside his boundary. And God said, no. The commandment said, no. This commandment that we're studying here tonight said, no. But he refused, and he became a transgressor. And all the grief that came 
from jumping over that fence. It started really with the breaking of the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. That's where it began. He wanted something that wasn't his. And so in the end, he was not satisfied. Well, in Proverbs 6 and 7, there continued to be warnings. If you look at uh, 6.20, for example, My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten Fasten them around your neck. And when you walk, they will guide you. And when you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Verse 24, keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Stop there. What he's saying here in verse 20 through 25 is load up your heart with wisdom. Fill your heart with the commands of God. Meditate much on the scripture. Don't let the commands of God ever stray from you. And so as you're loading up with wisdom, loading up with scripture, with the worldview that comes from the Bible, you'll be protected in verse 24 from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. And so he uh, urges a saturation in scripture. And then he says in verse 25, do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Verse 26, for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your very life. I'll tell you, scripture doesn't pull any punches, does it? I mean, the adulteress doesn't think about anything concerning you except you're a payday. You're reduced to a loaf of bread. You're nothing. And I think we could take this whole idea and extend it beyond it to say that we are reduced to body only. And we're forgotten. It's forgotten that we have eternal souls, souls that will stand before God on judgment day. And just as Job says, does he not see my every way and count my every step? And just as Proverbs 5 said, a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. He sees everything he does. Uh, So we are made to forget this. We are only body. No, it's not true. We are also soul. And someday we will stand and give an account before God. And then in verse 27 of chapter 6, Proverbs 6, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? No. Verse 28, Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment, and whoever does so destroys himself, blows in disgrace or his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse the bribe, however great it is. Here he uses analogy. We can see why a man would steal if he's starving, but still he has to pay. He's still going to go to jail for what he did, or he still must pay sevenfold, even though we can have a heart of sympathy to what motivated him to do it. But that will never be the case concerning this sin. Never. He can't pay off the guy. The man is outraged, he's jealous, and therefore blows and disgrace are the lot of the adultery. Again, loading up the mind with warnings. Do you want a miserable life? Do you want blows and disgrace to be your lot? Well, follow this route. This is what will happen to you. We don't need just this from Scripture, but we can see examples in our own lives as we look around of what has happened to people we knew, what happened to their families, what happened to their ministries, what happened to their lives, and how devastating the whole thing was. And so it's wisdom for us to load up on warnings that we might understand what the ultimate end is. So that's defense. 
We load up on wisdom, we fill our hearts with the word of God and with the warnings, and we guard ourselves and protect ourselves from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We're very careful about what we take in. John Bunyan uh, wrote an, uh, a wonderful allegory called The Holy War. And in The Holy War, he talks about this city called Mansoul. I mean, you have to be dense not to figure out what he's talking about. This is an individual human being, a man's soul. And he talks about various gates into the soul. One of them is the eye gate. You remember that little children's song? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. I'm not going to keep going. I'm too tired to sing the rest of that. But you know what I'm saying. You've got to be so very careful what you take in. Especially men are brought down by what comes in through eye gate. We have to be careful about that. Women, for their part, have to be more careful concerning their hearts, concerning relationships. Their hearts are wrapped up into an individual. They're drawn into a relationship and they can't let it go. And they're willing to give up on certain moral standards for the sake of the love that they feel or the relationship. This is also very dangerous. And so we have to understand what God's called us to do and we must protect ourselves. Well, that's defense. Well, what about offense? Well, we've already talked some about it. But let's look at 1 Corinthians 7 and uh, see how God provides for us so that we would be satisfied. In 1 Corinthians 7... Verse 1 through 5, Paul talks about marriage and about marital relations. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Some people feel this is a quote. In other words, the Corinthians are saying, as you said, it's good for a man not to marry. They wrote him a letter and Paul's responding. He's talking about the issue of marriage. But since there is so much immorality... The word literally means fornication. Since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Verse 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone but also to his wife. Verse 5, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So stop there. Very clear commands to married people here. The best protection then uh, from uh, sexual immorality is a, a wonderful and healthy marital relationship. Now, we must acknowledge that not everybody will have that advantage. Some of you uh, haven't been married yet. You're single. And so that doesn't mean that it's okay uh, in that God hasn't provided for you in this way in 1 Corinthians 7. Some of you perhaps are widows or widowers. And so you cannot turn to these verses for any solace. You must still be self-controlled. But there are many of us who are here who have a wife or a husband. And so 1 Corinthians 7 pertains to you. You want protection in this area? Then have a good marriage. And it's pretty clear what Paul's commanding here, isn't it? He's saying, in other words, have relations with each other regularly and consistently. Love one another. And I found it interesting uh, just talking in premarital counseling and urging people toward purity before the day of of the uh, wedding. Uh, I've said, I want you to notice what I've seen as a pastor. People talk about the wedding or the marriage being just a piece of paper. Now, you are Christian people. You don't believe that, do you? The marriage is not merely a piece of paper. Well, I can prove it spiritually by telling you what the devil will do. He will tempt you toward being together sexually before the wedding. And the moment you say, I do, he switches 180 degrees. 
and all of a sudden he will tempt you and work on you to not be together. So you tell me that that vow that you make to each other doesn't mean a thing. Of course it does, because the devil changes his whole strategy the day you get married. And so therefore it is, it is important for us as married people to obey 1 Corinthians 7. This is a very good protection, a, an offense, a filling as it would, if you, if you would, uh, satisfaction with what God has provided. But the best of all, the best protection of all is found in uh, Psalm 73. And I'm going to finish there. Look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73, beginning at verse 21. I'm not going to give you the context, but this is, these are some of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, six of my favorite uh, verses. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Now, this is so important, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Now, that is the key right there. Do you see it? Being so filled with God that there's nothing on earth that you want, ultimately. Nothing on earth can strip you or pull you away from God. Remember that I said last week that the big adultery, with capital A, is Godward. It means you're not satisfied with God. Jesus wasn't enough for you. And that's why you did the little adultery with the little a. And believe me, it's not little. It's devastating. But the bigger of the two is turning away from God in your heart and not being satisfied with him and his provision anymore. Psalm 73, 25 is just one of many verses that teaches this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. To summarize what we've talked about tonight, we've seen uh, the, the need for protection. We are surrounded by an adulterous culture. We're attacked all the time, world, the flesh, and the devil, working on us that we should commit adultery. How do we avoid it? Defense. We should load up on wisdom, namely through the word of God. We should load up on warnings and think, what is the lot of the adulterer? Even eternally, think much about it. And therefore, we should guard ourselves against what comes in through our eye gate and through our, into our hearts. What do we accept in? That's defense. Offensively, we should be very satisfied with what God's provided for us. If you're single, then be satisfied directly with God and what he's provided. But if you're married, then follow the commands of 1 Corinthians 7. Enrich your marriage. Make it ever better. Be deeply satisfied with the wife of your youth or with the, the husband of your youth. Uh, let, let that person be the one that God provided for you. But ultimately, find your deepest satisfaction in God and God alone. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.